Now, it's Gardening Talkback with gardening specialist Scott Sharp. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you once again. Good to see you. All that uh, talk about frost and cold weather uh, makes you want to try and sleep in in the morning. Oh, I would love a good sleep in the morning. Sleeping in's fantastic. It's good. It really is sleeping weather. It is, it is. What have you got for us today, Scott? Well, because it is sleeping weather, some of the plants are waking up a little bit strangely at the moment. I saw some magnolias out and magnolias legianus. So we might talk about that. Camellia japonicas and uh, plants breathing in this all this wind and drying out. So we'll chat about that later on as well and we've got margaret on the line and she's got a question about getting need advice about getting rid of a canker in cypress trees margaret how can we help you oh hi there Greg. um scott i'm ringing for john uh john listens to the gardening program all the time but he hasn't unable to ring today but he's listening and he said you did talk about canker in cypress a few weeks ago is that correct yes we did hello john um, Wherever you so, are. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Scott. Um, so what he's worried about is um, how he's going to get disposed of the roots and the soil around it. And is there a, um, can he plant something else after he gets rid of them? Yeah, so he can treat the soil with uh, fungicides. Uh, there's ver- various fungicides you can use to try and treat that to get rid of that part of the mm-hmm. canker. Um, look, some other people, you know, think that the canker is also the borer as well um, because they generally come hand in hand. But as far as getting, you know, sort of rid of that insect part of it, that's, you know, by getting rid of the plant, you'll be rid of those as well. But they can come back just, you know, as they get blown around in the breeze. Uh, but generally, uh, you're treating the soil with a, with a fungicide will get rid of that canker out of the area. But that said, um, you know, these um, fungal um, spores are just born around on the wind and uh, they can land on a plant at any time. So the most important thing is to keep your plants healthy, your conifers healthy. healthy. Uh, make sure that um, you are watering them well and fertilising them well. So if we're having a particularly dry spell, that's the time to come out and uh, give them a very good water. Right. And now, Scott, can these of uh, the um, disease areas, can they be buried or they'd be better to get rid of some other way, would they? Oh, we're talking about the, the tree. How substantial yeah, yeah. are the trees he's cutting down? Um, not 100% sure, but he's got a few. And, and he was wondering if he can plant other trees in that area once he's got rid of them. Yeah, look, he can certainly do that. Uh, look, if he wants to bury them, he can. Uh, but, look, take, taking those trees just down to another area and just letting them decompose, that should be fine as well. Not in the immediate area that you're planting, though. Excellent. Thank you so much. So hopefully John was listening and he's got all that <laughs> right okay. for you. Thanks, thanks for that, Margaret. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye. We've got Ray from Belmont, and he's got a question about the kumquat tree. Hello, Ray. How can we help you? Yes, yeah, Scott, I've just uh, I've got a kumquat tree. Uh, it's about eight 900 high. It's in a fair-sized pot. And uh, I was just wondering, uh, about two months ago, about 10% of the leaves just uh, fell off. Uh, they didn't fall off right at the actual tree. They left a little shoot, little stalk part, then the actual leaf fell off. Uh, and now they've, they've developed about probably, I don't know, 2 or 3% of the tree's got curly leaves. Uh, and I'm just wondering, what, what's the go? Can, you, can it be sprayed or... Can it, be, can it be fixed? Yeah, it, it sounds... A plant's going to drop its leaves if it's stressed for some reason, and it sounds like it, it might have dried out. Uh, you know, the wind could have been blowing over it, too, you know, too strong and it's dried out. And mm-hmm. so it, it's dropped yep. its leaves, and then all the new growth that's come back, 
uh, is you know nice and fresh and tender and is going to be more susceptible to leaf curl so that in, those insects are then attacked when the the leaves you know nice and, and fresh and tender yeah, yeah yeah so look what I would be doing is uh, giving a spray probably just with the pyrethrum spray a nice safe yeah. one to use yeah. all over the plant uh, even give it a very very light prune back uh, just yeah. to try and encourage some new growth. And when you're seeing that new growth come on, continue spraying with the pyrethrum spray to keep any aphids or, you know, any other sap-sucking insects out of the area. Okay, yeah. Well, how, how often do you water and feed these plants? Yeah, citrus are really, uh, you know, I guess they're pretty heavy feeders. You need to feed them about three to four times a year with the fertiliser. Mate, is yours in the okay. ground or in, in a pot? No, in a big pot. In a big in a pot, okay. Pot. So you just yeah. have, have to be careful about what you're feeding it. Uh, one that we often talk about here is called Sudden Impact. It's actually a fertiliser for roses, but roses and citrus love almost exactly the same thing. So, yeah, so Sudden Impact's a really fantastic fertiliser. It's slow release. You can use it about three or four times a year. Yeah, uh, right. You won't have any harm to the plant by using that uh, you could okay. also use some blood and bone as well if you wanted to uh, okay. look as far as watering goes it depends if it's really really hot and uh, you know windy uh, then you might have to do it two or three times a day especially when the pr- plant is flowering and fruiting because if it's stressed it will drop that what month what, Scott, what month would that be sorry for your flowering and fruiting on the plant yeah yeah, yeah. so that that's going to happen oh look in around uh, November, December, um, okay. with, yeah, with those, with your, uh, your kumquat. So, uh, a good, make sure you're watering very heavily then. And then again, yeah. on, you know, days like we've had over the last couple of days yeah. where the, the uh, humidity is yeah. low and, and the wind is up, you have to make sure you're watering then as well. So, it's about three year old. It was, I bought it in a small pot, yep. transferred it to a bigger pot. And I've had it for about three years, and it hasn't bared any fruit at the stage. So, yeah. Okay, I, I think some, uh, you know, that feeding we're talking about might work, and uh, just some general watering. Okay, then. Thanks very much for your help. Okay, good on you, Ray. Thank you. Catch you later. Bye. Well, we've got Diane now from Mayfield, and she's got a question about the Helleborus bird yeah, yeah, hybrid. hybrid. Yes. Hello, uh, Diane. How can we help you? Good morning. Um, I have. Can you hear me okay? We certainly can. Oh, good. I've got um, headphones on. I've got Helleborus hybrid, and it's red, and I put it in a good sized pot, and it's been out the front that gets the afternoon sun. But uh, when I first planted it, it got lots of rain, and then we've had all these winds. And it's still damp. I put it in the sun yesterday afternoon to try and dry it out. Now I've brought it inside. Um, the leaves are very dry, and all the all the stalks are laying flat. It's just like it looks like it's wilted. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering if it's too wet or I don't know. It's oh. still it's still damp now. Okay, I think what's happened is you've originally had it in uh, the wrong position for that particular plant. Uh, Hellebores are a type of plant that like uh, some shade, some dappled sunlight. Yeah, well, it gets all morning in the shade and then the sun gets in the afternoon. Yeah, and that's the trouble. It's getting all that really, really hot sun in the afternoon. So what you need is a a position where it might be in the morning sun or even just under a tree where it's getting dappled sunlight all during the day. But uh, those conditions you've described with the heat in the afternoon is not going to be very very helpful for Heliborus. They won't like it at all. Oh, yeah, I read it. I I wanted something for out the front. Um, I thought it might have been suitable, but everything I own comes out the back because it gets the morning sun. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so yeah, look, I, yeah. So I, I think it's just getting burnt to a crisp. As far as having it in, having it inside, I'd probably take it out from there now and put it, uh, you know, in I've those. Just done that, yeah. yeah, on the veranda, perhaps, uh, so it's not straight back out into the cold air. And uh, hopefully, we'll have better uh, luck with it next year. Ah. Oh. You think it's gone? Oh, no, no, it won't, it's not gone. It'll still go. It'll still keep on growing for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think getting it out of that really hot summer sun is the yeah. afternoon sun is the most important thing. And will thing. I cut it back a bit? Yeah, you can certainly give it a cut back. Um, there's, they're actually related to uh, ranunculus. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think there might be a corm under the ground as well with a heliborus. So uh, I think even if they die back, they'll still come good for you. Okay, great. Okay, okay, thank you. May I ask another question? You absolutely can. I have um, a mandarin tree. Yes. Um, but all the, the mandarins are falling off. Not all of them, but a lot of them are falling um, when they're still small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what happens with uh, citrus trees, often they set too much fruit. Uh, and so when they are flowering and fruiting, you have to make sure that they're being very, very well watered. Uh, what I would say at the moment is we've got these, you know, sort of drying winds and low humidity, and that's when a plant's going to become stressed, and the first thing it will do to try and survive will drop any extraneous, uh, you know, fruiting material. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not putting energy into that, and that's what's happening to yours at the moment. If you want to, uh, next year, you can actually thin the fruit and flowers out before it gets to that stage. Uh, but often people just leave, you know, what's on there on, on the plant and uh, see how mm-hmm. it copes and make sure that you're watering really well during this time of year. Okay, all right then. Um, and another quick question, is it, is it too late to really cull back my... Um, uh, oh, that beautiful fruit that we eat in summer? Oh, mango. mango the mango. <laughs> is it too late to cut it right back? Uh, look, it, it probably is a little bit late now. Generally, with a mango, you would cut it back as soon as it's finished fruiting. Um, if you were to cut it back now, um, any new growth will probably get burnt off by oh. the cold. Uh, leaving it then until August or September when it warms up and you do some cutting back then, it might be that the you, know, you might miss out on a season's fruiting, I, I would think, if you were to leave it that late to give it a prune. We've always got good fruit. Last year we didn't get any. Yeah, we've had that a couple of people. Yeah, I think we've had yeah. a couple of people ring up saying that, and I think it could have just been the weather, um, you know, last year that that seemed to do that for people. Okay, right. Thanks for all your help. Not a problem, Diane. You have a nice afternoon. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. And we've got Paul from Hamilton South, and Scott. He's got a question about mushrooms. Hi, Paul. How can we help you? Yeah, Scott. And they tell me that you're the mushroom man of the. Of the Hunt of District. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll try, yeah. mate. We'll try. <laughs> well, they call me mushroom. They put me in a worm and, you know, they feed me so much and then put me in the dark worm. <laughs> <laughs> How can we help, mate? <laughs> <laughs> What's the best time to grow mushrooms, please? Well, you can grow... Mu- where I can buy mushroom seeds from. Yeah, so you can grow mushrooms all year round. It's it's about the the situation or the place that you find to grow them. Now you don't you don't get mushrooms as a seed; they're actually a spore. But you get them in a mushroom kit, uh, and most independent garden centres will have them. It's just like a, a box, I guess. And you open the box up, and inside the box is the 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 dirt, and then there's also another bag with some spores in there, and you sprinkle that around. And as long as you've got them in a nice dark 
sort of wet um, situation, the mushrooms will just grow nicely for you. I remember when I was a kid, we had this downstairs um, um, sort of area in under the house. It was a brick house. It was wet. There was an old shower in there. And the mushrooms just used to grow really well down in there out of the old kit. Um, so yeah. that's exactly what you need. You need a nice sort of almost dank um, area and your, and your mushrooms will do really well. Well, right, Grandma, she used to have a hashing bag. She wets it and she puts that over the top of the box. Yeah, yes, that, that, and that's the way you're trying to create that, uh, you know, I guess that microclimate for the mushrooms to grow in. Uh, when, yeah. when you go and get your mushroom kit, uh, it'll have all the instructions on the side. It'll give some, you know, uh, recommendations of an area to put it. But generally, I would say if you've got a, uh, you know, in a, your garage and your garage is, um, you know, nice and sort of dark and moist, you'd yeah. stick it in the garage and, and they'll just go great guns for you. And how long does it uh, come through ready to be picked to be on my feet to have on my toes? Oh, look, I, w- I would say two to three weeks and you'll have some nice mushrooms uh, ready to uh, to cook up. A bit of a, fro- okay. bit of a fry up. Do you sell them at shops there? Uh, we haven't got any at the moment, I'm afraid, no. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. I thought I'm my little mushroom man. If I go there, you want that <laughs> one for me? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, look, mate, any, uh, any other independent garden centre should be able to help you out with them at the moment. Well, okay, then, Scott. Well, have a wonderful day. And I say to the listeners, have a happy day and sing to your plants. because they grow much better. <laughs> Good on you, Paul. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye. Cheers, thanks, Paul. I might get a mushroom kit. Yeah, Paul was a happy fellow, wasn't he? A very happy fellow. Yeah, he enjoys his mushrooms. I'm very excited now to see how he goes. Oh, yeah, I am too. Hopefully he uh, rings and reports back to us. We can only hope. We've got yes. Peter Dow from Coalpoint, and he's got a question about buffalo lawn. Peter, how can we help you? Uh, Scott, last week you were talking about buffalo being uh, dormant in the wintertime. Yes. Um, my lawn was quite good during the summer, but it's had a lot of... Um, traffic over it with dogs and people and that sort of thing and it's in very poor condition yes but I, uh, what i think is winter grass it's a lighter color and comes up like alec uh, on your head yeah. is that describing winter grass yeah the winter grass is a, a light lime color and it comes up like funny little tufts yeah. uh, uh, yep. and and you can get rid of it um, the, the most important thing to do is spray before it uh, grows its little seed heads. Yep. Uh, and there's a product called uh, Wintergrass Killer. It used to be called Endothal. I think there's a couple still on the market that will do it. Uh, I've got to tell you they're not cheap, though, um, because you're only paying for, you're paying for a chemical that they only use in a very short time during the year. Uh, yeah. So it's about 30 or 40 bucks for, for yeah. a bottle of 30, that chemical. 32.95 Yeah, well, yeah, there we go. I, I wasn't too far off the mark. Yeah. <laughs> a fortnight ago yes um and i do have a lot of uh stuff browned off but uh i'm gonna have to give it another spray i think because there's still that, that lime green stuff but what i'm wondering um when can i fertilize and will the bu- uh, buffalo uh kill it off itself uh what usually happens is that seed goes back down into the soil and it re-emerges next year for you which is the the bad thing about it so it is important to keep on top of it before you go and spray it a second time though i'd make sure that uh according to the uh, you know directions on the packet you can do that with your buffalo lawn uh, and as far as fertilising your buffalo, doing it now, you're not going to have a great effect because it, it is dormant. So generally yep. you'll have to wait, what are we now, start of July, probably another uh, you know, four or five weeks. And then I would go and fertilise your buffalo lawn and uh, get it ready for spring and summer. Yeah, all right. 
Um, yeah, the garden centre I bought this stuff from said um, spray it two to three times with uh, a fortnight in between. So uh, I didn't read the instructions, yeah. but I will. Always good to read the instructions. Uh, yeah. I'll... Look, everyone, you know, gives advice to their best ability. Um, sometimes we all make mistakes, um, so <laughs> definitely read those instructions. All right. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Guarding Talk back on 2 RFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. We've got Marie from Swansea, and she's got a question about camellias. Good afternoon. How can we help? Oh, good afternoon, Scott. Um, I just, I've got a camellia, a japonica, um, it's probably getting close to six foot high. Um, it always seems to have done well. It has grown and it flowers well. But the leaves, instead of being um, an attractive, shiny green, they seem to be coated in a sort of dull brown. Mm. Um, it doesn't... The leaves don't drop. doesn't seem to kill them. Um, but it's just dull and unattractive. And I think there's some with a few little black dots on Yes, yeah. It's, it sounds like what you've got is a, a, a thing called tea mite, uh, and that gives the camellia that sort of dull, almost bronzy uh, look on yeah. the leaves. Uh, unfortunately, those leaves are now damaged beyond repair, so they'll never come mm. good. Uh, by no. spraying now, you're, all you'll be doing is trying to protect any new growth that comes on. Uh, another oh. way to try and uh, you know repair that is to give the plant a light pruning, you know, like almost a lot shaving over the top of the plant, and then any new growth comes on sort of tries to cover that, uh, you know, that damaged uh, leaf material. Yeah. Uh, look, as far as uh, getting rid of it, you need to use a miticide. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a variety of them on the market. Uh, Sometimes uh, eco oil may well work for you. It's a miticide that's not harmful. Uh, you know, it's not actually an insecticide, but works as a preventative, and it will choke those mites away. Right. Uh, so I'd give eco yeah. oil a try, and I then... If you have to, you might have to use something a little bit uh, more harsh, unfortunately, to get rid of it after that. But certainly give that eco oil a go first. Yeah, it um, it doesn't seem to affect the you know the the plant. It seems otherwise healthy enough, and it grows and flowers, but it just looks unattractive you know yeah look it, it will yeah. be affecting the plant uh, sure. because there's little insects there sucking the sap out of the leaves and yeah. that's why you're getting that damaged appearance so it will be affecting yeah. it uh, and yeah. it can just keep on getting worse and worse and worse i've seen you know entire tree um you know japonica yeah. is just completely having that bronze silver look about them because of the tea mite i have seen others in other you know if you walk down the street i've seen other ones looking the same yeah yeah and look there's nothing you can do about it um as far, mm. as far as spraying preventatively every now and again because they are just little insects mm. that are born around on the wind so you can be doing the best things possible um you know but if, they, if there's someone you know in, in the neighborhood that's not looking after theirs too well those insects just get blown around so yeah. making sure the plant's well watered and is generally uh, well fertilized uh, making it able to repel you know attacks from mites uh, more yeah. easily and making sure that yeah. it's uh, just looked after with the preventative spraying okay thank you very much scott thank you have a nice afternoon yeah. bye-bye bye, bye. We've got dorothy now from musselbrook and she needs advice about keeping it trees alive during the drought Dorothy, what's going on? Uh, well, it's, it's not... The trees are fine. Yeah. But I'm a bit embarrassed because they're fine. But I look around the place and everybody's got brown grass. And, of course, I don't because I've got shade from my trees. But how am I going to keep them going through this... We've just gone under water restrictions. And while I only water twice a week 
and not that heavily. Um, how do I... What can I do to help the trees survive? What can I feed them? I've got a row of brookleaf cypress. Uh, I've, the, the citrus were fine, but I've got a jacaranda. Um, and, and, and nice shrubs and everything. What do we do apart from mulching? Is there anything we can do to give them strength to carry on? Yeah, well, look, you're sort of hitting it on, on the nail on the head yourself there. Uh, as far as fertilising goes, look, you can fertilise, but it's not going to, you know, keep the plant alive. In fact, over-fertilising when a plant is, uh, you know, water-stressed can actually provide more stress to the plant. So you just have to be careful about doing that. Uh, my recommendations in these situations are for deep watering. So, uh, you know, not spraying the, you know, the hose all over the plant, yep. but having a, yep. a little bubbler sprinkler or just standing there and letting that soak really deeply, you know, around the, the root ball of the plant, doing that in the morning and the evening to try and get it through the day and mulching yep. as well. Mulching is one of the keys to keeping plants alive because it does, it creates like a little doona, I guess, uh, over mm. the soil and over the root ball of the plant that's providing protection uh, for that root ball that, that doesn't, and so it won't dry out as quickly. So uh, I, I think they're the two key things at the moment, just, uh, you know, deep watering and mulching and they will keep your plants alive as best you can. Uh, how often do you think they should be watered? Is once a week, twice a week sufficient? If I can get the water into them? Well, if you can get the water into them, obviously, as, as much as possible. Uh, but if you're on water restrictions up there now, uh, you know, you just have to do it, you know, as much as you can. Um, but again, doing it in the morning and doing it in the evening, not in the heat, not in the heat of the day. I know that's not applicable at the moment, but uh, when mm. we get to summer, not in the heat of the day. Yeah, they get about 10 minutes, uh, about twice a week. And that seems to have done them so far, but things are getting really bad up here and the ground's drying out terribly. Yes. So getting it inside uh, to the root ball is, is going to be a real problem. Yeah, and is that's, that's why I advocate that, that slow, deep watering, not just running yeah. off the surface. And, and if you've yep. got mulch there and you've, you're doing it regularly, then the soil yep. won't become hydrophobic. It will still keep on absorbing water and getting it down uh -huh. to the root ball. But if you let it dry out too much and then you know what happens, then the water just runs off the surface and uh, runs away. Yeah. yeah. What depth of mulch would you use? Uh, look, I, I'm just—I've always got my fingers out here trying to estimate depth, and Greg's very good at that. I'm thinking like I don't know, sort of three to four inches of, of mulch. You know, a fair bit. Yeah, a fair yep. bit of mulch yep. around the place. Yep. Okay, then. Thanks, God. Okay. Good luck with the Dorothy, and look, we just hope for some rain. That's the main thing. Oh God, I hope so soon. Yeah. It's really bad up here. Okay. Thanks, God. Thank you. <clears throat> bye bye. I was about to say fifteen centimeters. That's about three or four inches, I think. Is it? I oh. think, well, yeah, in the old scale. That's very convenient. It is. That yes. would have been spot on, though. It would, and, well, you were spot on, I was spot on, so... Everyone was spot on. <laughs> Everyone's a winner here today. <laughs> We've got Lynn now from Cary Bay, and she's got a question about a zoysia lawn. A zoysia. Zoysia. Zoysia, yeah. Some people call it no-mow grass. Yes. Oh, right. That sounds like a good grass. It is, yeah. Lynn, what's happening with yours? <laughs> Well, I, I don't have one yet, but I've been advised. I was going to, I'm building a, a home and I was going to have artificial grass because uh, I didn't really want the maintenance of real grass. And somebody recommended this zoysia and said it's the greatest, latest thing and low maintenance, not much mowing. It'll do fine in frost or heat. 
Anyway, it sounded like the miracle lawn, but I'm just wondering what are the downsides. Uh, look, I would say with zoysia, it, it is difficult to get it to grow down here in Newcastle. It is a plant that, or a, a grass that grows more readily up, uh, you know, once you get north of Coffs Harbour, for instance. Uh, it is, uh, I guess it's also a more tufty sort of lawn. It's, it's, it sits up much higher. People use it more as a ground cover, as a little feature plant in rockeries and things, rather than a lawn down here. Uh, I don't think in my... And I tried to grow it at home back in the day, uh, down my centre driveway strip, and I didn't have any success, and that was in at the junction at the time. Uh, and I think it's the winters that get to zoysia here. Mm, what about up in the valley, up in the Hunter Valley? I would think that would be even worse. Uh, I think once you get frosts on them, um, they, they wouldn't do very well. For instance, uh, where we, uh, you know, I've seen zoysia growing at the, you know, the wholesale nurseries, they grow them in under shade cloth, and, that, and those nurseries are actually up uh, around the Ballina area. So that's, that's where they're, they're growing zoysia. And it's one of those rules of thumb. If you're not seeing it around very much down here, there's a reason for that. And I think it's just that little bit too cold to get it to grow here. Once you get to Coffs Harbour, fantastic. You know, you don't get those uh, really cold nights and frost like we get here. Uh, you know, their, their temperatures stay up around 8 degrees overnight, whereas ours, you know, at the moment are dropping, you know, far more than that. Um, so I, I think that's why you're not going to um, you can give it a try, go get a couple of sort of pots of it and see how you go. That's the other thing about it. You don't buy it as a turf strip, um, you know, like you go and buy cooch or buffalo or any of those things. It actually comes as more as a plant in a pot and you just let it spread out over time. Um, so I, I don't know that it's this miracle um, grass sort of answer that ever, everyone would like it to be. What a pity. Looks like it's artificial then. <laughs> but why not try... What about cooch? I mean, cooch is a really good tough lawn. Um, I, I think it's probably one of the toughest out there. That's why they use it in the in the golf clubs and places. Uh, and it just runs and it's very easy to look after. Oh, OK. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you. That's all right and not a problem. OK. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Sorry about the bad news. <laughs> No, oh, it is bad news, but never mind. Okay, I mean, the other thing, zoysia is actually, um, it's a native to Southeast Asia. So that, that's the reason it's not going to grow down here. You, when you go up to Singapore, Bali, all of those sort of places, it's always hot and humid. You know, it barely gets below 28 degrees. So uh, down yeah, here in Newcastle, yeah. just too cold for it. Oh, well, never mind. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got John from Catherine Hill Bay and... He's got a bit of a bit of a disagreement with some of the info you gave with Zoysia Lawns. Oh here we go. Oh, John, how can we help you? <laughs> yeah, g'day, Scotty. How you going, mate? Good, mate. Have I, have I said mate, something I wrong, have I? Well, in my opinion, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> That's all um, right. I live in the beaches of the state of Catherine Hill Bay. Yep. And I, um, I laid Zoysia Lawn just over 12 months ago. Yeah. It was actually, I put it down in April last year. Yeah. And people comment on, they ask me what sort of lawn it is, and um, they reckon I've got the best lawn in the estate. Okay. Well, I... I and it's Zoysia. Mate, I will, st and, I'll stand corrected. Everything I've ever read and experienced, it's always been, um, you know, a, a warm climate uh, plant. So uh, if you're having great success, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of others that actually laid it in the estate. And yep. there's a guy up, Joel, he was about oh, two or 300 metres in, in the same estate. He's got... A lawn, and he actually asked me um, when I got lawn grub what I did and all the rest, and he did the same as his, and his is as good as what mine is. 
So it, it, you said it comes in a plant. Um, well, I, when I bought mine, it was laid in um, like normal turf. Ah, okay, fantastic. See, I never have ever seen it as, as a plant in a, in a pot that just spreads out. How did yours cope with lawn grub and uh, you know going through the summer months, the heat? No, no issue at all. I, um, it took me about three. It took about three or four weeks for it to recover with the lawn grub. Yeah. Um, and I sprayed it um, with the appropriate spray. Yes. I um, sprayed it with a product called Fortune Five Hundred. Okay, I think that's uh, isn't that that's something I don't think you can get domestically. But anyway, we'll we'll skip over that part. Yep. So yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, you can't get any of those anymore from Bunnings or yeah, yeah. I don't think nursery supplement or it's mainly the um, yeah. Greenkeepers have, have got those access to those sort of chemicals. Um, mate, yeah. And do you mow it? I do, but I haven't mowed it now. Um, during the summer, I was mowing it about every second week. Yeah. 10 days to two weeks. Uh, it doesn't grow a real lot. Like, when I say it um, doesn't grow a real, real lot, it was growing probably about um, oh, 25 mil, probably, okay. at the most. So, look, I guess if, if Lynn from Kerry Bay is listening and you're at Catherine Hill Bay, um, just, mm-hmm. just across the lake, really, in a way, so... Um, stone yeah, stone's throw away. So um, she might be able to give it a try. Um, look, I, I can only comment on my experience, but, mate, if you've got it growing out there, um, it sounds... Yeah. yeah sounds like it, it will be a goer um, because everything I've ever read and experienced, it's only for, uh, you know, warmer climates. Yeah, the one I've got... Um a company called Marty Turf supplied it from down there at Yarramong. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, no worries. Well, yep. oh, it's on the border of Yarramong down there. But the name of the company was Marty Turf, and okay. um, yeah, that's where I where where I got the turf from. And um, yeah, okay. it's, it's fantastic. Like in my previous, um, I, I come from Cherry Brook, Cherry Brook, and I laid new turf there um, a few years back, and that was. Um, that was buffalo that I laid there, yep. and that was fantastic too. But when I come up here, I did a bit of, bit of research because I was worried about the salt because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm only a couple hundred metres from the surf. And I was worried about... I was looking for something that was salt-tolerant, and I looked it up online, and this this soy lawn come up, and I read into it and researched a bit. It's grown a lot in the United States too. Yeah, Okay. Oh, that's, that's fantastic, John. Uh, we might have to uh, come out and do a bit of a field trip out at your place uh, one day and check it out. So, but uh, thanks for that information. You can, if you like, you're quite welcome. I'll um, make you a cup of tea. <laughs> fantastic. I'll Hope... get the wife to cook some scones for you. Beautiful. <laughs> Hopefully uh, Lynn's been listening in and uh, she takes that information. That's great. Thank you for that. Appreciate yeah. it, John. Thanks, okay. mate. Cheers. Sorry to disagree, mate, but that's my experience anyway. That's all. Uh, I don't mind disagreement here. <laughs> okay. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. Scotch up. We've run out of time. Ah. Been another great Fly week. By. Yeah, it has. Lots of good calls again. Hey, some great calls today. Yeah, some brilliant calls. Yeah. Scotch up. Back again for Guardian Talk. Back next Monday from midday. We'll talk to you then. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at twonurfm.com.